What's up, y'all? My name is Min. My name is Tammy. This is The, the Lightning, Lightning Rod. Rod. Hey everyone, welcome back to this episode of the Creative Folks Podcast, The Lightning Rod. Um, I have Mike here. Mike, would you give us an introduction of who you are? Hey everybody, my name is Mike Glatzer. I'm an Atlanta photographer specializing in lifestyle and brand portraits. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm a uh, product development engineer uh, working for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Look at you. All types of things, aren't you? <laughs> uh, my excuse is usually that I hate being bored. <laughs> That's a good excuse. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Mike, you do photography. And how long have you been doing photography? Um, so I started, you know, just photography in general uh, about 14 years ago, uh, but I've been doing it professionally for about seven now. Gotcha. And what inspired you to do photography? Like what made that your, your kind of like interest in doing that? Um, so it's essentially always been in my face. Uh, so, you know, my dad had an old film camera that I picked up at one point. Uh, but the real thing was, you know, my uncle has been a professional photographer, uh, for well longer than I've been alive. Um, you know, he started out doing weddings and currently he's uh, working as a uh, wildlife photographer oh, cool. and, um, you know, uh, working with him, um, I've got a, it's a hilarious story of how I got started. Um, really how I, you know, really piqued my interest. You know, I was kind of dabbling in photography and all that jazz. And, uh, one day I'm like, Hey, you know, Charlie, you know, can we go, you know, shooting for a little bit? He goes, yeah. Okay. So he takes me out on the beach in you know, Long Island, New York. And we're uh, taking pictures of, uh, this bird called an osprey, right? It's a giant fish hawk. And there's one sitting on, you know, a nest and just, hanging out and I got this little dinky film camera and he's got this, you know, wildlife setup, which is a 600 millimeter lens, you know, on a tripod with the camera. I'm thinking, great. So while the birds are sitting there, he goes, okay, Mike, you hop behind the lens and take a turn. So, you know, I hop behind, snap a couple of frames, go, okay, thinking, yeah, I got this. I can totally do this. And then next thing you know, I get a couple of taps on my shoulder going, Mike, there's one flying by with a fish in its talons. Mike, Mike, Mike. So here I am, 15 years old at this point, and I've got a 600 millimeter lens, the first time I've ever freaking used this thing. And if you've ever used a lens that long, you'll know that the field of view is incredibly small and yeah, tight. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to find a bird that's flying through the air with, you know, this lens that I can't even like pick up because it's stuck to the tripod on the sand, you know, beach. I'm like losing it, trying to figure out. He goes, Mikey's getting away. Mikey's getting away. Mikey's getting away. So finally he knocks me in the sand. Boom, I fall over. He hops behind the camera. And I hear 12 frames a second go off. Okay, he's gone. You can try again now. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Aww. Well, here's the best part is I hop back behind the lens. I start shooting the original Osprey in the nest. And five seconds later, tap on the shoulder. Mikey's back. Mikey's back. <laughs> boom. In the sand. Three oh, wow. freaking times that happened. Yeah. Just over and over and over. So at that point, I was just like, screw this. I'm going to nail the damn shot. And that's what really got me into photography is, you know, wanting to achieve that final image and so like I'll kind of jump the gun a little bit did you ever achieve that final shot that you really wanted with the osprey no <laughs> I guess and yeah if not outside of that like in in terms of like your other work have you ever shot like one where you were like this is like this is it <laughs> um less often than I would like but I think that's part of the creative process and you know me learning as a photographer and as an individual um it's happening more often now than it was earlier in my career uh, so, you know, progress is being made, yeah. but, um, you know, you, you do what you can with the time and the, uh, this 
the circumstances and the constraints and, you know, you hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that goes to my next question too. What kind of photography? So do you really enjoy like, you know, the things you did back then with your, your family there, or is it more of like what you do now, which is wedding? Um, it, oh, honestly, it's photography for me is the, what I love about it is the process and anything that challenges me. Right. So, you know, creative lifestyle portraits and brand portraits, which is what I'm getting into now is really fun because, you know, I'm using composition, lighting, props, the setting, posing, body language, all that to try and tell the story of this individual within a single frame, which I think is just incredibly powerful. And there's a lot to it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I love shooting weddings in my, you know, every now and then because there's still that story aspect, but it's very fast paced. It's kind of ridiculous. And it's just all kinds of madness going on simultaneously. And the entire time as a photographer, I'm like, yeah, it's cool. We got this. And it's just hilarious in that regard. Um, and at the same time, you know, I, I love traveling. I love seeing new things and places. And I have a real respect for history and architecture mm. and art. So, you know, travel photography is fun for me. If anything, just so I can hang an, or try to hang another print on my wall. Um, currently my house looks like a art gallery of travel, which is kind of awesome, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when, uh, just to kind of explain it better for our readers, because I know what you mean, like perfectly, just because I've hang, hung around like, you know, a couple of photographers. So what do you mean by creative lifestyle? And, uh, you said branding, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, I'm, I have to work on this elevator pitch cause I've recently just started pushing this, uh, avenue of my photography business. Um, so you typically hear lifestyle or brand photography as two separate entities. When you hear lifestyle photography, it's usually someone saying, oh, it's day in the life. So it's, you know, a photographer following somebody around, taking pictures. This is not an Instagram influencer, mind you. This is just a random family, a random individual. And you almost create like a whole like album storybook out of it. So it's really fun and creative. Um, you know, for me, I got too much going on, so I can't follow someone around for half a day. Um, so, you know, I like creating the story and that's where the creative element comes in, you know? Um, so it's saying, okay, if your whole thing is you're a novelist, you're a writer, then I want to get a picture of you in a, your office. That's floor to ceiling books, you know, pages that are worn, um, with you in front of your, you know, computer notebook, whatever you have you for, you're doing your research and your actual writing and, you know, creating, setting up the lighting such that it matches one you know, the type of writer you are. So if it's, you know, say we were doing Stephen King, I would do really dark, dramatic lighting. And I would probably have some element of color that makes you think fear. So maybe a red hue or something like that in the background. Um, I have a very strong theater background. So, you know, dynamic, dramatic lighting with color is very, very prevalent in my work. And it's a huge inspiration. That's cool. Um, I think so. Um <laughs> So, you know, so building on that, you know, and you go towards the brand photography, and this is aiming more towards, you know, businesses, Instagram influencers, um, you know, those individuals where, you know, you, it almost is more that day in the life type feel. So I know like right now, you know, you constantly have people on Instagram where they are the brand, they are the face of it. Mm -hmm. So they need pictures of them doing activities and, you know, being their business in ways that, you know, encourage authenticity and tell the story so that, you know, a uh, hopefully a consumer will see them go, Oh, I see this person. I see who they are. I see what they're about. And now I'm invested and now I trust them. 
and I want to, you know, do business with them or buy a product or a service. So that's kind of where brand photography yeah, comes in. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And um, I mean, I, I think we have all kind of seen it every now and then. I, I follow a couple of influencers on my own too, where, you know, they're they're mm-hmm. constantly having photos of themselves where, you know, it's them like sitting on the porch with a cup of tea or like with a book that yep. they're reading or with their laptop, something of that sort. So um, so I, I think you kind of cleared it up in between, you know, influencers versus like creative lifestyle so that's that's pretty cool that's that's good to know for sure and you also said that you like to travel um and do travel photography so what do you mean by that like kind of like the different buildings architecture that type of thing or um yeah usually I mean it's it's hilarious because now I've gotten so used to photographing people that if I'm walking around, I'll take pictures of buildings for like an hour or two. And then I'm like, okay, I need to find a random passerby. I'm like, can I just take a picture of you? Just stand right here. Pretend like you're reading a travel novel. I'm going to put you here and set up a story like lost tourists in the middle of France. I don't know. Uh, so like that. But I mean, like for me, travel photography, like I love, like I said, you know, history and, you know, especially over in Europe and older parts of the world, because the U.S. is so young. Um, when you think about it, uh, I, you know, like I was in uh, Amsterdam uh, last October and I was absolutely Lord, I just the history and everything going on because we did a couple of tours and just learning like, oh yeah, we're talking about things that happened in like the 1400s, or, sorry, 1400s, and over in the states, like we don't even fathom that really and put it into perspective. Um, so you know, traveling around, you know, seeing new culture, seeing new things, seeing the history, um, you know, I just like you know, creating landscape photography, travel photography, um, you know, creating you know a setting or a story because. Yeah, everything is a story essentially it's a moment in time you know as cliche as that sounds um you know and i love capturing that because especially with landscapes and travel i mean it literally is there is no moment that you can recreate perfectly like portraits my camera breaks the memory card loses all its files i can call the client be like hey something happened we have to retake this right if i'm hiking through you know uh, jasper national park and i see a gorgeous sunset and i got the reflection in the lake of the mountain um, I'm actually looking at this picture on my wall right now. Like that's never going to happen true. exactly like yeah, that again. Exactly so that. yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's one of the reasons why I love yeah. it. Yeah. And so that, uh, just to kind of detour from like the questions that I've sent you like previously. So, um, with that type of work, do you, do you normally like just post those on like your Instagram? Do you save them for yourself? Like, what do you do with those? Um, with those, I typically put them on my personal Facebook page and I swear it gets more attention than my portrait work. It's really infuriating. Um, so I got to figure out a way to like, it's your work. Like it it, in a way it's equal, right? So (laughs) yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really comical. The number of people who have told me like, I'm an amazing wildlife and travel photographer or travel and landscape photographer. And I'm just like, I don't even try. I kind of just see something and I take the picture of it. Whereas portraits, I have to try, and, and they like look at me like, "Shut up, nice. dude!" Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. I can see where that's in fear, like a little bit frustrating, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, both sides of the coin. Yeah, I know we're covering it a little bit later, but do you plan on like going into portrait as being like that career, or is like wildlife, you know, architecture, telling stories, that type of thing? Is that the the move that you're making? Um, so I'm going to focus on the, the, the portraiture, whether it be, you know, the creative lifestyle and the brand photos. Um, the other photography is just something I do cause I enjoy it and it's fun and it's just something to exercise my brain. That's a little bit different. Um, you know, if I ever got smart enough, I could probably try and sell some of my travel and landscape photography to uh, stock photos agencies and do that. 
But um, for right now, it's, you know, that that's just for me something to enjoy and something to help, you know, you know, plaster my walls with more uh, canvas yeah. art. Because I just, yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it's nice to walk in and just have all those memories. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, kind of going back on track now. So was photography always something you knew that you wanted to do? Like, like since that first moment when you were 15, like this is my career. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's realistic nope. I was just like oh this is really fun it's just like I enjoyed it it's 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 art it's creative it's it's an outlet like I, I, I've always really enjoyed it um but you know just like anything else I mean you or a lot of photographers nowadays you start taking all the pictures and people are like oh hey can you like do pictures of me and I'll give you a couple of dollars and I'm like sure yeah. this could be a thing yeah. um and kind of just run with it like that I mean yeah uh, but outside of you know the the monetary gains I mean photography for me like I you know, picking up the camera originally, you know, just messing around, like I enjoyed it. I thought, okay, I'm taking pretty pictures of it. But once I really dug in and started learning, you know, the craft and the theory and everything that goes into photography, um, it really appealed to me, you know, kind of like the same thing with my engineering career, because it's all, it's process-based. It's, you know, solving puzzles, which is something that I absolutely love. Um, you know, it's just, it, I, murder mysteries. I mean, that's my favorite thing to read, which is, again, it's a puzzle. So like, that's what my whole, like, that's what drives me through life is figuring out things and learning and working through process. And photography is such a wonderful process to go through from, you know, either a concept to, you know, the final image. I mean, that, that entire, um, you know, step process, I, again, I'm using process the word too much, but there's really only one word for it. But yeah, I just, I love I it. I agree. I think it is a process just like um, really any other creative work too. It's all a process. And I do graphic design on the side. I do also do marketing and all that stuff. Those things take time to build like, you know, the perfect craft or like building the skills to make sure the craft is better or at its best quality, you know, whatever the case may be. So I, I, I really appreciate you doing that. And just you being an engineer, which is completely different from photography, even though it may overlap here and there, but it's completely a different field, like a different, like, you know, soccer field, literally. Um, so like, yeah. how do you even balance that? Because it's two different things. Don't you feel drained from like your engineer work and then like having to hop into photography? Or do you feel like because you do engineering, it gives you more room to have the creativeness for photography? Um, hmm. That, that's actually an interesting point that you brought up so that I have to consider because so 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 for me the way I reconcile the photography and the engineering is they're both process-based like we've established right you know photography is you know you have a concept you have an idea you have this vision in your head of a final product a final picture and then you're you know getting models you're doing makeup and hair you're getting props you're picking the right setting you're picking the right time of day you're adding all these elements to, you know, produce this final thing. And again, it's solving that puzzle for the type of engineering I do is I'm doing uh, novel product development, which is basically a doctor or, you know, another physician, what have you will come in and say, Hey, I had this, I have this idea for a new medical device. I have it on a napkin sketch and here's what I need it to do. Can you build this for me? Um, which for me turns into, okay, let's, come up with the inputs, like come up with the constraints, you know, how does this have to operate? You know, what's the sterilization? What's, you know, the procedure of getting it through the FDA for approval? You know, what's the risk mitigation? I mean, this is all really technical terms, but this is all the stuff that goes into, you know, product development for medical devices. And for me, it's that creativity, especially on the front end of, okay, I have this napkin sketch, you know, 
and the doc is telling me, here's what it needs to do. Here's what it can't be. And here's all the different parameters of working either in the OR or, you know, being in just the regular, you know, uh, uh, doctor's office, you know, so it's an outpatient procedure um, and taking all those and saying, okay, I've got all these inputs. Now I have to create a physical thing. So it's that prototyping process. It's building things. Um, I've always been a very hands-on person. I grew up working with my hands, you know, building furniture, you know, working on cars with mm-hmm. my dad. Um, so again, it's that process. It's that puzzle of solving something. I mean, the, the number of times that I curse the physics God, because, you know, I'm trying to create something that I needed to do it. And physics is going, no, you fool, you can't do that. I'm going to say, try me. I challenge this. Um, and of course you lose, but it's fun. Um, so in that regard, you know, they're, they're similar in that they're both creative processes to me. And, you know, I truly believe that, you know, even though like, especially in medical device development, it's mountains and mountains of paperwork. I mean, if I showed you the, 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 the documentation I had to generate for our last design review, I mean, it rivals two phone mm-hmm. books. Wow. If anyone remembers what the heck those things are anymore. Um, I do. I know what they are. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's hilarious that that's actually a point now and I'm not even yeah. metal. Um, so like it's, it's, it's just crazy, but like generating those documents, like that's a level of creativity. I mean, one of the practices for medical device development is a document called a DFMEA, which is a design failure modes effects and analysis document. And you're literally brainstorming how your device is going to fail. Mm, That's interesting. And yeah, because then you have to say, okay, here's what we're doing in the design inherently to mitigate these risks of it failing either by the mechanical build or by the user, you know, using it wrong, which happens all the time. Um, or all these other, you know, different things, even like how it's, uh, machined and produced at manufacturing, you know, what's the possible errors in that process that could cause the device to fail. So it's, it's literally a negative brainstorming process. So, you know, that's creative. I mean, even just generating the documents for creating, uh, tests to do, to verify and validate it. So, you know, you say, okay, it has to do this thing then, okay, we have to write a test that proves that it actually does that thing. So, you know, generating that test. So it's, it's creative all the way around. Um, so, you know, anyone who thinks engineers are, you know, boring pencil pushers, no, 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 no. They are very creative as is anyone, you know, really creativity is I think infused in every aspect of life. We just don't give it the credit it's due or recognize yeah. it. Um, but yeah, so all of that being said, going back to your last point, which is, you know, how do they affect each other at the end of the day? Um, for me, it's, it, it's kind of comical because I love my engineering job. Like it excites me every single day. The team I work with is phenomenal. It's, I love my engineering job. I love going to work. Um, And because of that, you know, there's obviously shenanigans when you're doing product development because money's involved and it's just, you know, make those things faster. And we're like, well, we need to make good engineering decisions. And they're like, no, still go faster. And we're like, well, that's a compromise, blah, 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 blah. So those are not the fun days. But otherwise, you know, I'm always energized by my engineering work, which helps keep my brain off of the photography stuff so that when like my day job is done, I can focus fully on photography. And for me, just having that mental balance and that break is fantastic for both aspects, actually, you know, getting the break from engineering, getting the break from photography. Um, because, you know, if just because of the way my brain works and how I'm constantly like thinking on things, working on things, lists running through my head, all that kind of stuff, 
Um, you know, if I was doing one of those just full time, and then the rest of the time I was just sitting around watching Netflix, I'd probably just go That's crazy. That's the same with me. And I, I'm glad you bring it up because <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking about like, as you're talking about this kind of stuff, how, you know, the, the whole backwards or like the negative brainstorming, I, I do think that's important by the way, just because you brought it up. I'm thinking on like my day to day when I'm doing design or if I'm doing like marketing, we we do that on a lower scale because we're thinking about like okay how can this campaign not work or what can what can mm-hmm. mess up the campaign or what are some potential things that i could see happening in this design that i can avoid so it's it's in this in a way in a sense it's doing the same thing and i think that's really cool that there's a technical term i can use for it now <laughs> so thank you for that yeah yeah no you're welcome yeah but on the second part too i do agree with you and i think that's so important to tell other people or to let other people know um especially other creative people who are listening to the podcast who um who work another job because i work another job and i do you know this on the side like the creative folks on the side i do feel like it i agree with you on the whole mental break thing like my brain processes it just the same as you do. I do think my day job really helps me, you know, stay creative in that field. I do what I got to do there. But then at the end of the day, I can go home and do what I have to do. Because before when I was working in, um, I was doing graphic design for um, Georgia Tech part time. And when I was working there, and I did that creative work, and then at the end of of the day, go home and still work on creative stuff, it really blew me out. Like I was overwhelmed because I, I was like, oh, I have to think about my projects at Georgia Tech. And then I also have to think about my projects I'm working on here. So mm-hmm. when I moved away from that space and like moved into something more corporate like, so I don't know if your, your engineer work is, is it like a corporate lifestyle there, like a nine to five air quote here? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, we're, <laughs> we're, we're pretty lax at the office. The, the, the work environment is wonderful, but it's definitely, um, more on the corporate side for sure. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where that break is happening is that because we've already experienced the whole, like, you know, working on one, th- one creative thing, like the whole time, it kind of bores me out and I can't really concentrate on my work anymore after that point. That's why getting a corporate job, um, that made me concentrate on something else, helped me feel more creative in like the creative folks or my other creative projects. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people mistaken, um, that, they can't work a full time, like a corporate nine to five type of job and still do their creative work when I, I actually feel like that is what helps you be a better creative because now you have to one balance your time. So you have to time Mm -hmm. manage a little bit better. And then second, you also have to be able to think creatively on top of like, you know, all day already thinking of how to solve problems at your other jobs. So, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, to, to, if you don't mind going down a tangent, you know, about time management, I think that's, that's the single hardest thing for creatives to master and to realize is actually a good thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that constraints make you do better um, and make you work harder. Um, and, you know, time being one of those, I know, I think, I can't remember the name of the law, but it's the, the, the gist of it is that, you know, we fill the time we allot ourselves to complete an activity. So if I give myself, you know, four days to edit a photo shoot, you know, I'm going to wait until the last two days to work on it. But if yeah, I want to give myself so one natural. day, yeah, yeah, right. And it, it, it's just the way it works. So, you know, for, for those of us who, you know, work the full-time job and do the creative thing on the side, you know, it, knowing when you're going to do certain activities is very paramount. So like planning and again, that time management is so valuable and it's unfortunately not a skill that a lot of people, you know, develop well, you know, coming up through, you know, various, you know, education and, yeah. you know, life and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think, 
it, it's a good life lesson. And it definitely, especially when you get to the point where if say you get successful enough in your creative endeavors, where you could drop the full-time job and do your creative gig full-time, um, not having good time management skills, you will lose your mind and burn yourself out. Yeah, if you I haven't developed that. Yeah, yeah. And I do think like, um, so that would be the perfect scenario actually is like if you're working your corporate job and then eventually when you realize like, yeah, I want to take on my creative side like full time and then you decide like, okay, I'm going to leave my corporate job. At least I, I feel like when that break is about to happen, um, you have built or like you've developed better time management. So where like when you're doing your creative work full time, at least you're you're working on it in like a timely manner. You're you're making sure all your projects are done, et cetera. Versus mm-hmm. like if I were to take on the creative folks now, I would probably be like you where I would do like what Monday through through Wednesday working, but then Thursday, Friday, Netflix. I don't know, you know, like I don't know what I would do, <laughs> honestly, because I haven't mastered it completely, yeah. but I feel like having that corporate job where it it made me um, stay in that nine to five time zone, like that, that time gap and just work and work and work and work. And then later when I get home or like, if I, if I had to make the effort to wake up a little bit earlier to edit like a podcast or like, you know, do some editing on something else. I think that is what helps me like be a better creative overall. (laughs) It just helps. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I can go down lots of different tangents with, you know, time management and, you know, what makes a productive hour and a good hour versus not. And, all that. And I mean, that that's all involved. But you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, time management is the single I other than, you know, knowing your numbers and accounting, um, your time management skills are one of the most vital pillars to be successful. Um, just in life in general, just beyond, you know, your creative or nine to five endeavors. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, just to verify, like, or not verify, because I can see like your answers and stuff. But for <laughs> people who don't see that, what is like your technical like degree that you got for your engineering? So I have a bachelor's in biomedical engineering from Georgia Tech. That's really cool. And um, is that was was that something also that you just wanted to get into? Like, what what were the steps to kind of go into that? So to get into that, um, uh, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier about how I've always been, you know, working with my hands, mechanical, um, you know, building furniture, working on cars, you know, building stuff, you know, with my hands, Legos, you know, little animatronic type stuff, mm-hmm. um, scaring the crap out of my neighbors because we blew stuff up in the cul-de-sac. I mean, all that kind oh, of fun stuff. Um, it was just I at a like wedding. That's my neighbor, by the way. Oh, uh, everyone actually thought we were great kids. You know, oh, we okay. were, you know, the three musketeers, but they just knew that if something if they heard a small explosion, it's like, oh no, Mike and the guys are at it again. Let's see what they're doing. Um, And we were at least, you know, safe about it. Well, let me rephrase that. We uh, controlled (laughs) the environment such that if something did blow up, nobody's uh, property. That's pretty good for you to consider that at, I assume a young age. (laughs) Yeah. This, this, at this point, this was high school when we were officially blowing things up. Um, So yeah, we, we were at least mindful in that regard. But um, yeah, so at that point, you know, to me, that was engineering. That was building things that occasionally blowing things up because you do have engineers who are specialists in that. Um, not what I wanted to do, but, you know, like, you know, building things and making things work and coming up with new mechanical, uh, you know, structures and designs and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, having that little bit of photography in there. And also, like, again, I mentioned, you know, having a strong theater background, you know, uh, I just, I developed this really strong affinity for the human body um, and just how it works as from a, as a mechanical system and seeing all that together and knowing that I could, you know, combine, you know, 
development of, you know, mechanical systems, structures, what have you, um, and use that to improve, you know, the human body and, you know, somebody's lifestyle, I was like, oh my gosh, what, what more rewarding and giving thing could I possibly do on this earth? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly spiritual or religious person, but to me, like, that's like one of the highest callings you can have is, you know, to, you know, serve others. Um, so for me, biomedical, biomedical engineering was just spot on right there. Um, and I just, that's what sent me down that path. Well, that's great because I, I really like hearing stories like that where they, um, I'm not too big on like, you know, if you graduated with that degree, you have to go work in that because I certainly, I didn't do that. I graduated with a sociology degree and education, education psych as my minor. And I don't work in that field whatsoever. Like not, you know, like literally like how you are like literally in biomedical engineering. Um, I kind of touch on here and there every now and then, like I teach workshops that kind of fills my like teaching love and then like sociology, I'm interacting with people daily, especially creative people. So that fills that void. Um, but for you to go to school and like get that degree, um, do you recommend other people to go to school? Like, yeah, for something like engineering, obviously, because that's a little bit more skill and like knowledge base where you do have to go to school. But like for other creative people, do you recommend them go to school? Oh, that's uh, that, 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 that's a double. I got two responses for that. Yeah, um, and it's kind of conditional. <laughs> um, I think, again, going back to, you know, like if you want to go for something super technical, like engineering or architecture, um, you know, for that, I think college is a great avenue like it, it should be an avenue um but for creatives it's tricky because number one i don't believe you should grade art i think that's complete crap um so like doing that even through like elementary middle high school like you you cannot grade art you can say hey you know we're learning this particular technique of brush stroke and your ability to master it okay sure you can grade that but as far as like the actual work that's being produced, the art that's being produced, you can't grade that. And that kind of leads into the whole element of, you know, like edu the education system, I don't believe is properly set up for creatives. Um, again, because you're, while you're teaching them certain skills and attributes, um, I think usually creatives as a whole um, will dig into, you know, something that intrigues them, especially any form of art or craft, and they'll learn the techniques, they'll teach themselves and they'll become masters of it and they'll do it at a pace and in a way that makes sense to them. You know, education right now is, you know, kind of teaching to a broad audience where it's okay. You know, we're all going to learn two plus two today. We're all going to learn, you know, three divided by one today. And, yeah. you know, not everyone can keep up with that pace or it makes sense to them in the way that it's taught. And it's, especially for creative fields, I think it's, it's not advantageous for them and it doesn't work. Um, but on the flip side, there are, programs, schools, you know, universities, what have you, that you go through this rigorous program and at the end of it, you can walk out with tremendous networking um, capabilities. Like you're, you're basically you've developed a network that not only just within the creative group that you've, you know, graduated with is really impeccable and wonderful, but you have access to other professionals who have come out of that university or very well respect that university who, you know, you will help you on your next steps in your journey, right? Which is yeah. hugely, hugely incredible because I know creatives, like the hardest thing for us is, okay, I'm producing the art. How do I make the next step? How do I become successful? Where do I go with this? You know, so that is really powerful. Um, and I would say the other thing is, um, well, I, it, 
if you have, you know, if, if it guarantees you to get a job out of school, okay, there's some benefit to that. I mean, most creatives, you know, are freelancers anyways, and they can get away with, you know, doing things as they want, but, hey, you know, if you can, you know, get, if you're guaranteed certain things out of it, okay, maybe you can justify it. Um, unfortunately, you know, most art or creative-based curriculum are private schools and they cost a fortune and the jobs you get out of there do not pay well enough to survive, especially with today's economy. Um, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think it's important to clarify too, it's not to say like, you know, don't go to school or, or to go to school. It's not like, I don't think it's um, really one or the other, even though the question is kind of going toward that. But I 100% believe in like, if you decide to go to school for it, great, you know, hone in all the skills, all the knowledge that you want to and build that ne network while you're there. But to those who decided to not go to school, that doesn't mean that you've missed out on like, you know, like a whole chapter of like your art career. Like you could still do all of that. I, I believe you can, at least you could still do all of that outside of a school environment because I 100% agree on like, you know, not every student learns the same, not every student learns at the same pace, especially. So, um, and then on your point too, grading art, like that, that was something I never thought about. And I was graded on art because I took like a lot of classes for it <laughs> in high school, but then I never pursued it as a career um, in college because I felt like if I pursued it, it would make it boring for me like it, it mm -hmm. would take away so much from me that I'm just like when I graduate I don't even want to touch art I don't even want to touch design I don't want to do any of that stuff right. but I saw like I saw that difference in a lot of um my peers who did do graphic design as a as a like a career not career but like as a major and um some are doing freelance and some have landed like you know high level jobs because of the degree but I do think in part it's the network that you built um so compared to someone who just graduated but didn't build a network, obviously you have to leg up because you, you've you done the networking part, you know? So mm -hmm. I think it, it it majorly depends on the network because if right. you know a lot of people, you can get places because I never went to school for any of this art stuff, like in terms of like college-wise. And I feel like I, I still get clients every now and then for design work and I've been recognized for the artwork too. So it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> it's up in the air <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think uh, a lot of it too, it, I'll, I'll to go further down this you know road yeah. is you know there's two things about this that also I'll I'll say in a good way muddy the waters is that you know from the networking standpoint is if you are naturally good at networking then yeah. you don't have to pay you know a boatload of money to be forced to network through a university system but if you're not that great at networking uh, you may have to think about it or you just need to get off your butt and learn how to network, um, which is yeah. unfortunate because most creatives in my experience are introverts and talking to people is just terrifying. Um, yeah. <laughs> so That's there's something that. we've covered before, actually, where we talked about how um, a lot of creatives are introverts. I'm actually um, ambivert, or at least I consider I'm self-proclaimed that I'm ambi ambivert. Like I Stay have- here. Yeah, I have motions of both where like if I'm like in business mode, if I'm talking to a client or if like I know it's a potential lead for something else, then it's full on like talkative Tammy. But after mm -hmm. I finish this conversation with you, just like me and you right now, I'm hitting my bed and I'm snuggling up and I'm going to listen to some music to calm down <laughs> because yep. I, I get tired from socializing as well. But I can socialize when it's on cue, like if it's needed, mm -hmm. then yes, absolutely. So I feel like I didn't even yep. need to go to school yep. for like, you know, networking purposes. But I went to school because I love social sociology so that's <laughs> yep yep no I, I i totally get it i'm right there with you i used to think i was a hardcore introvert and i've since realized that i believe i'm more of an ambivert just because if i'm in the right setting and i'm 
in the right, you know, environment with the right people. Like I'm jabber jaws, super energetic all over the place. Like yeah. it's right here. Like this energizes me. I'm having fun. This is super cool. Like this is where I'm turning it on. But like you, as soon as this is over, I'm going to grab my laptop, edit some photos and just listen yeah. to some music and just like just zone out. Myself. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. <laughs> just be to myself. I don't even yep. want to talk to anybody. <laughs> just want to eat dinner and watch maybe a show, an episode of something, you know, and hit the weekend, whatever, you know, all that. Yep, 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 for sure. And one thing I want to go back to that um, we're starting to go as far as, you know, like whether or not, you know, school, uh, uh, um, established like universities, programs, all this ever good for education is there's also, we have this new awesome thing called YouTube which is, or the internet, like, and it's democratized education such that you don't have to go to universities anymore. You don't have to go to these, you know, big public places with structured environments to learn. You can actually do it at your own pace, watching things on the internet and working with other people, which is like such a huge thing. And in terms of creativity, I think that's a better thing than traditional education because it is at your own pace. You know, you can find different mediums to learn. Like for me, there's as much of watching YouTube videos on photography as there is reading blog posts about photography to help me learn and gather new things. Cause I'm always trying to learn always trying to get better. So with the admin of, you know, like YouTube and everybody's, you know, an instructor now, everyone's teaching you, you know, doing YouTube tutorials and all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, there's, um, for those of your, uh, uh audience who may not be aware of, there's this uh, platform called creative live, um, that was started by Chase Jarvis. And it's literally just like, uh, uh, Chase's whole thing is he's also really big, uh, has major critiques of the education system. And he created this new platform where they're doing um, almost like live webcast style classes with the top professionals in their field. So photographers, writers, um, marketers, like you name it all across the board. And, you know, you can watch the class live for free when it airs. And they also repeat, you know, the content every now and then, or, you know, you can buy the class after the fact so you can watch it again as many times as you want and suck up all the information and make sure you get it. Um, which I think is super powerful. It's really handy. And the classes have always been fantastic from my experience. So, you know, anyone who's looking, you know, if they do work, you know, during, or if they don't work during the day and they are a freelancer um, and they've got some time, I highly recommend checking out Creative Live because the classes are phenomenal. And if you can catch them, you know, when they're fresh, um, they do have a schedule for when everything's coming out. I mean, it's wonderful, wonderful content. And I attribute a lot of my learning to it. Yeah. And I think um, to kind of add on top of that, too, that's part of like just that that drive and that hustle, because, I mean, you can you can claim yourself as a freelancer all you want to, but you're not going to get clients unless you're you get better at your work, because I always feel like there's room for improvement. Like you can you will always stay in that set of clients or the same referrals and you will never actually grow until like you you built on top of your own skill set. So for you to go like, you know, learn on top of those free classes or pay, you know, pay 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there to learn like on a different scale to see what really works for you. I think that's so important. And to go out there and network with other people, like go to those art shows, go to different networking events for your specific uh, field, like photography meetups. Cause I do it all the time in Atlanta, as far as I know, uh, me and you are in that uh, photographer group together and they do meetups um, or like just different events that teach you that specific skill that you want to learn and go learn other skills while you're at it. So like, if you do design, you know, hop into photography and see what you can do if it's in your, in your interest, obviously, but go into those kind of things so that you can learn more and then build on top of your skill, even though you don't have, you know, the traditional route of like going to a university and getting a degree, but you can definitely fill that void by going, you know, going out a little bit more and not be in your cave all the time. <laughs> right. Right. 
get away from your computer, go out, smell the fresh air, you know, and talk to people. Yeah, <laughs> It'll be the best so, thing you do. Yeah, so basic, but then so important and so vital. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I think we kind of covered a lot of that. We're kind of diving into your personal stuff now. So mm-hmm. can you give me, I read your answer that you gave me, and that is a heavy schedule, by the way, but can you give me your, <laughs> can you give me your day-to-day and kind of like explain to our viewers, like, what are you going through as an engineer? Plus, like, you know, I, I wouldn't call you a part-time photographer, but if you call yourself one, then we'll call you that. But, you know, you and your photography too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my schedule is just stupid. Um, that's really <laughs> the best way I can put it. Um, it's, you know, cause it's, it's, there's, there's the big blocks of time and then there's the shenanigans that happen within those blocks of time. I like that um, shenanigans. I think we all should call our, our that shenanigans. That's, it really is really shenanigans. shenanigans um, and <laughs> honestly, when I do job interviews and engineering gigs, I tell every one of my interviewers that I want to be running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Cause that's fun. It's stressful, but it's crazy fun. Um, and that's just how I operate. Um, so as far as, you know, my overall schedule goes, um, you know, I'm up every morning at, you know, 545 in the morning, um, you know, and I'm at my engineering job by 7 a.m. Um, assuming we're not going to cover what all goes into my engineering job, because that's a whole nother conversation. Oh, yeah. um, Maybe another day, because I think now, yeah. that you, now that you've mentioned it, and I have a I have a friend who's at Georgia Tech who's trying to pursue the same degree, actually. And um, she just never really go into detail about like what it is that you do. Like I, if I broke down the words like biomedical, so like something in the medical field and you're doing engineering, so maybe you're crafting something for doctors. I never really got like, what is your schedule going to be like? Because that sounds crazy. Just engineering, like you tie engineer. That's crazy. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's a whole nother bucket of crazy. Yeah. Um, but, but now that you, yeah, but now that you mention it, I do think it's a creative, creative field and a creative job, which is definitely, mm-hmm. let's talk about that next time because, because that's crazy how, how that even came to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I love it. That's one of the reasons why I pursued it is because it is, it's still creative and it allows me to exercise those juices. So I'm never just using one side of my brain or the yes. other side. I'm always using both, which yes. I love. Awesome. But yeah. Okay. So you, you're up at the job by 7 a.m. We'll talk about the job next time. So what do you do? <laughs> yep. Yep. So job, uh, day job is 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, during the week. I have a wonderful uh, arrangement such that I get to work from home one day a week. Um, so I get to sleep in an extra hour, roll out of bed and immediately turn to my laptop and start working from there, which I love. Um, but after that, I, you know, it's photography. So it's either I'm working at home or I'm working at a coffee shop. Um, you know, all starting, you know, like three thirty, four o'clock, depending on when I get done with everything. Um, I'll usually take an hour, um, as I get done with work to, you know, just like decompress, listen to some music, just like try and get my brain off of things. My favorite thing to do is just go for like an hour long walk and just like chill and enjoy, um, and just have that mental break between like work and work, um, which I think is really important. Um, and then after that, you know, it's right into the photography stuff. So usually what I do is I start the first 30 minutes of that time going through client emails. Um, I'm very explicit with my uh, business hours for my clients. They are fully aware that my business hours are from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. during the week. Um, so for me, you know, that's when I'm that's when I'm on. Um, and nobody has an issue with those being my work hours. You know, if they text me at 10 a.m., I'm going, okay, that's fine. You know, you don't get a response till 3 p.m. And nobody complains. So 
that's another conversation in itself is how to manage your clients and set expectations. Um, but yeah, so, you know, first 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the emails, you know, is dedicated just to that. Um, and then the rest of the time, you know, I, um, I do a thing called block scheduling. So like yeah, I Mondays, I focus Monday. on, you know, accounting and planning my social media for the week. And then Tuesdays, I'm working on blogging. Wednesday, I'm doing any updates or maintenance to my website or to uh, my CRM. I use Dubsado. Um, Thursdays, I'm working on, you know, you know, blogging or a newsletter. Um, and then Friday is when I'm typically working on um, marketing ideas or, you know, keeping up with marketing campaigns, anything like that. Um, you know, those are how those are blocked out. Um, usually, I'll work on those things until about, I don't know, seven o'clock. I'll make dinner. Um, do all that stuff and then hop back into any work that's remaining or I'll finish off by reviewing any emails that have come in since that first hour when I was working on emails. Um, one of the big things I'm a proponent of is when you start working on something, don't put it down and give yourself adequate amount of time to just stick to it. Um, it's just more efficient for your brain and you start getting into what's called a flow state. So, you know, the creative juices are really pumping and you right. can just like really knock things out. Um, because for those who are not aware multitasking is a lie and it makes you way less productive. Um, I can do a whole nother lecture on that. Yes. I will um, link your, um, your original post about that because Mike wrote a couple mm -hmm. of posts for us before about multitasking. Um, and I took that to heart because I was like, you know what? Like I need to stop lying to myself that I'm multitasking because I'm not like it's, and it doesn't work. <laughs> like a lot of people say yeah. that they can, and it's not an actual to me, now that I see it from your perspective, I'm like, it's actually not a thing. It's just you not not saying anything, but it's almost like ADD where you're just kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, going back and forth, like on, on different things. You're not really productively getting anything done. You're doing it bit by bit. <laughs> right, right. Because you're, you're basically allowing your brain to switch between activities. So there is nothing more infuriating than like being at work, working like at my engineering job, one of the reasons I get there at 7am other than getting to leave at three. So I have more time to work on my photography stuff is that I'm the only person in the office for the first hour and a half, which means I can focus on an activity that I know takes extreme concentration, a lot of brain power. And if somebody interrupts me, I'm going to lose track and it's going to take me 15 minutes to dig back in and remember what the hell I was doing. So like, I literally, like, the first thing I do when I get into the office, like, I don't even read emails, I don't do any of that. I just do the hardest thing, the most intense thing that I need to for that day. And then when people start coming in, that's when I'll check email and all that stuff because my office is very um, talkative. We're very close. So there's usually a good 20, 30 minutes of, hey, you know, how's everything going? You know, chit chat, catch up, you know, what's going on. And for me, it's, you know, catching up on what happened the, you know, other hour and a half where everyone else was still working when I was out of the office. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, that whole thing, because uh, again, multitasking is false. And, you know, when you suffer from this thing called brain switching, which is, you know, you're doing an activity and then, Ooh, look, shiny thing like Facebook post or notification, Instagram, email, like your brain goes to that, you know, you do the activity and then it takes, you know, at least a minute or two to get back into what you're originally doing. Mm -hmm. And now you've wasted the time. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you never, yeah. yeah. Right. So you never build the efficiency. You never really dig into it. So, yeah. And emails, the, biggest like offender of this well your phone is too if you have it out in front of you i like i legit turn my phone over put it off to the side like i will look at it like only once every like hour or two when i'm working day job and the photography stuff because i know that is the single biggest detractor of my productivity yeah 
um, which is so difficult for everyone because they're like, no, I have to respond to things immediately on Instagram and Facebook when people, do-. no, you don't, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm but so again, glad, another conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you're mentioning that because like I'm guilty of that. Like I have my, when I'm working like my corporate stuff, yeah, it's in front of me. And then when I'm working on um, anything for like creative stuff, it's definitely in front of me but because we operate so much on on that platform like that digital Mm -hmm. space so like it's hard for me to retract from it but I do agree like if I'm editing a podcast I do need to put it away and so that I can concentrate or else I'm like I'm like listening out to what you're saying but then also like you know scrolling on on Instagram so it's not right whatsoever right exactly If, if if anyone wants to read two great books on uh, this topic essentially is um, they're the, the, the two guys that co-founded the software called Basecamp. Um, it's kind of like a client management type software that it was one of the, it was actually, I think the first one ever created in like early 2000, like 2004, I think it is. It's um, uh, Jason Fried and David Hannemeyer Hansen. And the two books they wrote are the first one's called rework, um, which is basically a culmination of their entire blog series that they've been running for years and the other one that just came out is it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Um, these guys are explicit in saying that you can be effective. You can work really well in a 40 hour work week. You don't need to work more than that. But the key is you need to have effective and efficient hours. You can't work crappy hours, which is being, you know, exploded by email, being distracted, all that kind of stuff. And the other thing that they do, which is mind-blowing for anyone who lives in a corporate culture, is they prefer using email and long-form communications and slow decision-making. What does long-form communication mean? So basically, instead of having you know a, like a Slack or a inner-office messenger, they, they believe in strictly using email um, in such that you know one of their designers, because they're all uh, you know, majority of you know software coding, all that kind of stuff, is someone will say, "Hey, I have this you know idea for a new feature within our software," and he'll write out literally a multi-paragraph like small essay, you know, explaining here's why I think we should do this, here's the pros, here's the cons, cost effect, you know, all that jazz, and then they literally say, "Okay, people, write your full thought-out responses to this." And then in a week or two, we'll then come back and make a decision. So they're literally saying like, no, we don't have to make decisions ASAP right now. We can actually slow things down and deliberate and think about things because when you make decisions super fast, you know, it, you overlook things and you make mistakes and there's just a whole lot that goes into it. But they also mm-hmm. want to create a culture where you can focus on the task in hand and there's no such thing as ASAP because if some one thing is ASAP, everything is ASAP. And then there's no true priority, no true ASAP activity, in which case you're just running around like a madman trying to do a million things at once. And five of those ASAP activities just never get done and maybe two do. So it's creating that structure such that everything gets its due attention. It's, you know, due focus and due thought. Um, and, you know, they treat it with respect before, before they do anything with it and move on with it, which I think is just brilliant. Yeah. And so counterculture, again, to anyone who's used to a the exactly, current yeah. culture culture yeah i was actually just about to say that too because um i think the idea is good i i'm trying to imagine how it would work in our our team environment how we work here at the creative folks i don't know if it would work entirely but i do i can't see it working um but for like that 
like that corporate culture, like people who live in that that space, that I think that's really hard just because um, if the higher ups are always wanting one thing and, you know, and working mm-hmm. in that, co- like that corporate culture, you don't just have one manager, like you have like yeah it's a major trickle down effect yeah yeah so you have a bunch of managers plus the ceo maybe if you're like if you're in that higher position and then you Mm -hmm. also have like if you're a team lead then you have everyone beneath you or like you know all all these other arrows coming at you at one time so that's going to be really hard to manage unless it it was something established from top like you said trickle down Mm -hmm. you know if it was established at the top then it'll go down that way but um i'm trying to think on like other corporates like like is that even possible (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. And they actually they do recognize that and acknowledge it in the books. And they're like, we do realize that if you're, you know, the lowest guy in the totem pole, you can't do these things like you need someone like a manager level or higher to, you know, try and instigate this. Um, and, you know, it, so it is hard to do. But, you know, it's something that you can at least take, you know, for this audience, you know, in your personal life, you know, with your creative endeavors is okay, you know, take the other lessons like, okay, so, you know, I'm going to work with clients and say, if things are ASAP, it's, you know, it's only ASAP if it actually absolutely has to be ASAP. You know, one, don't make your clients drive the deadline. Like, make sure you communicate ahead of time what the requirements are and the expectations. But, you know, as far as, like, making sure you work, you know, productive hours, that your hours are worth something, that you're not just, you know, working two crappy hours because, you know, you've got – you're working at a coffee shop and a baby's screaming next to you. Like, I love working at coffee shops, but if a kid is screaming next to me, I know those next two hours I'm not getting squat done. Yeah. That's, so, that's realistic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so recognizing that, you know, and if you are working on a, you know, a corporate entity and, you know, if you are say, you know, at a manager level or whatnot, you can try and, you know, develop those concepts, you know, for your team at least. And then, you know, tell your managers above you, Hey, you know, we're trying these things to, you know, make it, you know, more productive at work and to get these kind of efficiency gains. And here's why we're doing these things and, you know, use it as a small test to say, Hey, you know, if this works at the small level, maybe we can try and, you know, build this in for the higher level um, and the rest of the core or a corporation, whatever call you. So it's, it's possible to do, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those like managers and CEOs are the ones who really need to read this book and really be able to implement it, you know, A to Z, but you know, as creatives, you know, if you're working in your own spare time jobs, I mean, it's, it has a lot of great lessons for just creative entrepreneurs who are working, you know, on the side as well. Yeah. And really, I mean, like, I know we had other co- uh, questions to cover and stuff like that, but you kind of like, you know, answered as we went. Um, but I really want to touch on that too. Like, so um, outside of time management, what else do you think is like important? So like the whole conversation we just had is essentially, you know, just being productive, um, t- managing your time correctly, um, just making sure that you can pr- you can do the things that you promise within the amount of time that you've given. So what other things do you think are really important for creative people to kind of like, you know, hone in and like, the, but, but it's something that other creative people don't really do well in outside of time? Um, so it's, yeah, time management, again, being one of the big ones, um, it, uh, setting expectations. Um, I think... A lot of creatives, again, because we're introverts, we're willing to say, oh, okay, I'm just going to like curl up in my bubble and let the extrovert like tell me what needs to be done and I'll just suffer in misery and quiet and do the thing, Um, which you can't do. Um, You really have to be good about setting the expectations with your client like during just the initial like lead, you know, inquiry phase when you're doing the initial consult of can we work together? Um, You know, I I have no problem like having, you know, a, a client come to me and say, hey, I need to do these things and here's the timeline and here's the expectation, and here's the budget. And I have, and I can just tell them I can't deliver on this. It's not going to fit the way I do things. Um, but I am more than happy to recommend another, you know, photographer who might be able to meet these demands of yours. Right. 
Now, granted, I have the ability to turn work away because I have a full-time job that covers all of my bills and my expenses. So, you know, photography is just extra fun money for me. Um, you know, so I have that capability, but you know, it's, I do truly believe that saying no is one of the most powerful things you can do as a creative, um, for your business and your own sanity. Um, but again, so going back to, you know, setting expectation work your, with your clients. Um, I know when I do that with my, uh, portrait clients, you know, the initial inquiry, you know, it's okay. You know, well, I want to get, you know, picture, I want to get engagement photos, let's say, right. I'm going, okay, great. What, when's the wedding? You know, what's the timeline? Hey, when are you planning on, you know, sending out your invitations and your save the dates? Okay. Um, do you guys want digital files only, or do you want prints as well? Okay. So here's the time frame. Here's how all that works. Um, do you guys want to do, you know, an urban setting, a forest setting, all this kind of stuff. It's asking a whole bunch of questions to gather as much information as I can, and then taking all of that and going, okay, so here's a list of things you guys want to do. Here's how this would work out, right? So if they need, you know, um, for instance, like they need to do their save the dates in two weeks after the session, I'm going to tell them that's not going to happen because it takes me two weeks to edit the photos. Mm -hmm. And then you have to figure out which ones you want to put on the invitations. And then you have to wait for the time it takes to actually do the invitations, have them printed and made. Mm -hmm. And that process alone is going to take three, four weeks. So it's helping them understand that, you know, for me, my, uh, the way I do my editing steps is a little bit different than a lot of other photographers in that, you know, we do the session. Um, I do what's called high level editing, which is, you know, I do, I use light, a program called Lightroom yeah. and it's, you know, all the global sliders. So it's, it's adjustments that affect the whole image. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a fast, easy, you know, edit. Um, I do all of that work for the entirety of the images that we keep. So like I go through like the duplicates, the blurry ones, the one where people blink, get rid of those. And what we're left with, you know, I edit those and I send them off to an online gallery where my clients get to look at those mm -hmm. and go, okay, here's what's great. Um, and then I tell them, okay, you guys get to pick X number of photos, right? And those are the ones I'm going to do all the nitty gritty high end retouching for. And those are the ones you get to take home, right? That's what I do for some portrait sessions. Other ones, like for the brands, you know, they just want, you know, the global edits and all the images so they can have it for their Instagram feed, which that's fine. Um, it's just how I structure things. So like if we're going with the route where they want the nitty gritty edits, you know, it's okay. They look through a series of hundred images that took me two weeks to edit, which I told them is going to take two weeks mm -hmm. to edit. They look through the photos, they make their selection. I'm going, okay, great. It's going to take me up to another two weeks to do those detailed edits. And then you'll receive an updated online gallery that has those files, yeah. right? And I'm telling them all of this before they even give me a cent. Because the last thing I want is for someone to pay me and then go, where the F are my images? It's been a week. And I'm going, dude, this is going to take like four weeks to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I, th I think a right? lot of people don't understand that process. I mean, I don't do photography on that level where I'm editing like mm -hmm. crazy, crazy images. Like at most I've took like graduation photos for someone just because they didn't have a photographer and maybe mm -hmm. like max like a week just because like I was caught up with other stuff but um sure. for like the more intensive stuff like that like that does take time and I, I wish people understood it a little bit better especially and in part it's because they don't do photography or like they don't work in that field themselves so they don't really understand like well mm -hmm. why does it take you two weeks to edit like 3,000 photos like isn't that like a right. click of a button <laughs> you know right, in that exactly. age where like you know Instagram filters and stuff like that it's so easy to quote unquote here edit mm -hmm. a photo but not in like the the snazzy way you know how photographers right. actually do right. it right <laughs> right exactly so there's there I go through that whole process telling them you know here's the expectation here's the time frame you know and I even tell them like look you know if you're going to print these photos at a five by seven or smaller 
I don't have to do detailed editing because the stray water bottle or the zit on your face, you're not going to be able to see it. But if you print it at an 8x12 or bigger, then yeah, you're going to see it. So I tell them, if you print bigger than an 8x12, I'm going to do the detailed editing just because I want you guys to look good, right? And I don't charge additionally for that, but I do bake in that editing time to the price of my prints, which is why when someone asks me why an 8x12 for me is, you know, five times the cost of going to Walgreens, I'm going, well, I'm using a professional lab I'm, that you can't even get access to unless you're a professional photographer and you submit to and say, I am a professional photographer and I'm doing this extra level of editing for you. So it's client education is tremendous, right? And it's the hardest thing to do. And people like it, there's all this whole thing. It, it's tricky because you have to educate them in such a way that they understand the value of what you're doing without boring them to tears. Um, but you have to do it on the onset so that they understand, you know, one, they understand your value. So they're willing to pay your prices. And two, it sets the expectations. So when they do sign the contract and you're doing the work, you know, nothing is unexpected. You know, it's not nothing that they don't know or they don't understand. Right. So yeah. like I walk them through, you know, every single time, like something's happening. So like the lead uh, capture process, right. I say, okay, Hey, thank you for sending me an email with the inquiry. Um, you're going to get an email in a day with a link to that syncs up to my calendar so we can schedule a phone call, right? We go through the phone call or we do a coffee date and we walk through, you know, their inquiry and what they need. And we do this whole conversation, right? Mm -hmm. After that consult, you know, as soon as it's over, I send them another email saying, Hey, it was great speaking with you. Thank you for all the information. You should expect, you know, a proposal for a statement of work in a couple of days, right? Then the statement of work goes out. And with that, I say, hey, guys, here's your statement of work. Here's what you need to look at. Here's what you need to consider. If everything looks good, hit OK. And then you'll immediately see the contract and an invoice for a down payment, right? If it doesn't look good, talk to me, right? And it's I'm literally telling them what's going to happen next and when they're going to see it the entire step of the yeah. way. And what that does is it shows that, one, you're professional yeah. and you know what you're doing. You have a consistent process and it develops trust, which is the yeah. biggest element of getting anyone to hire you. Yeah, I know I'm totally going on like a million other things no, from yeah. what the original question was, but it's <laughs> I was just about to say, like, do you want to come back on for a third episode so we could talk about this? <laughs> yeah, I'm totally going for it. Like, I've, I've got too much knowledge not yeah, to share. Yeah, I love it. And I, I do think that's so important. Like, you know, just like kind of like closing that too. Like, I think that's so vital. But I do think, though, like, I want to pick your brain on this very last part because we're going like over an hour soon. And I think this is so like important, <laughs> so good. Like, it's it's good knowledge that people don't understand so like overall do you think like you knowing all this stuff so from like guiding them from step one to step five thousand is that because of like experience of like working over time in photography or do you think it, it was something like you you've learned from other people like I'm pretty sure it's a combination but like which one is a little bit mm -hmm. more for you it, it's definitely all of the above it's um it's it's learning from my engineering job um, because especially like, you know, again, medical devices, FDA, there's literally a step-by-step -step guide of you must have these documents at these points of your development. So that was the initial introduction to it. And then, you know, working with clients, you know, understanding occasionally, oh, hey, you know, we have a contract, but, you know, they still ask, you know, in a week, hey, where are my photos? I'm like, I told you it would be two weeks. Well, I need them now. Okay, that's not going to happen. And then having that whole thing fall out and it's not good. And, you know, for me, you know, one of the big things I do is I'm really huge on feedback. So like I send feedback surveys out every time I deliver a gallery. Um, and it's a couple of uh, questions regarding, you know, you know, is there anything you feared about hiring me? Is there anything about my process that you didn't like that could be improved? 
And is there anything that I'm doing exceptionally well? And then another just like generic comment section. And the things that I usually, the comment that I usually get in the things I do exceptionally well are, holy crap, your process is awesome. That's good. Especially, I assume these these clients are like first timer, like wedding people. So like they they mm-hmm. they didn't really know what to expect, but then like just how detailed you are, they they were just like impressed with the detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's another thing I do is like with my wedding clients is like I'm going to walk through your timeline with you and tell you the list of photos you want me to get if we can realistically do it in the time frame that you've allotted, yeah. which is always a very painful conversation. Yeah. But they're like, thank you for telling me this because now it sets the expectations and they know what to, again, to expect. Yes. So it's, I'm a big fan of being overly honest sometimes, yeah. um, not in like a asshole, like you suck yeah. way, but <laughs> you know, more of like, I, I believe like, because especially with, you know, photography in general, it is a luxury expense yes. and a right. lot of creative endeavors are. So like see someone buying, you know, an artist painting, you know, even getting graphic design work. I mean, that's a luxury expense. So if someone's putting that much money, AKA their trust and their hard-earned time into my capabilities, I want to make sure that they have an experience where they understand what's going on and they're satisfied the entire way. And I want to make sure that, you know, what they're spending their money on, they're getting value from. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'm thinking about myself too. Like if it were me in that position where I'm hiring someone else, yeah, just like you said, I'm putting my money into it. Not to say like, I'm like, it's not necessarily greedy. It's just more of like, I, I want that return of investment. Like I gave you the money to do a service. So will it be done in the time frame? And you know, all the, all the um, things that you were mentioning about, you know, sending out the survey or like guiding them from step one to step 100, that's just part of customer service. And I feel like, you know, you learn that in, out in the world as you go to work, you know, as you're working your engineering job or anything like that, you're learning that kind of stuff. So I think that's important. That's why I encourage other creative people to step outside of their creative field. Yes, we all, we all know that you want to, you know, be like the next biggest graphic graphic designer be the next biggest photographer whatever your field is we know that but I think there's so many things that you can learn outside of photography outside of graphic design outside of your field that will help enhance your field in the future if that makes sense if you know give or take if that makes sense to yeah people. Um, maybe it's just my experience too like you know working uh, because I didn't do you know design traditionally so I had to learn from other people I had to learn what it was like to take critique from someone that's going to shit on my shit all the time (laughs) like literally throwing like throwing it in the trash or like ripping it up saying like this is garbage like you need to do Mm -hmm. it again something like that and you might not get that in like actually like you know a school setting just because that that might hurt a lot of students feelings (laughs) but um working like working on the outside of it where like I, I worked at a print shop too one good example was like I I was working on this one logo design and I'm telling you it took me two months and I've never done a logo design that took me more than not even a month and the reason why it took two months was because they were expecting things out of me that were that were not with what I I felt like me as a designer would design. So for one, it didn't go with my style. And so that's a whole nother episode too, like, <laughs> you know, to not be hurt when other people don't like your style. And then second would be like, um, they, they just, they just expected things that realistically doesn't work in design. So like they want it, I can't even remember the whole project, but it was like a pressure washing mm-hmm. thing and they wanted like a metallic button but then like half of it was washed off clean and then the other half was like dirty, but they wanted that realistic rust <laughs> to it. And I was like, so you're really going to like get this onto your t-shirts and you're really having like folders or like, 
or like different things for your business and you're really going to put this on there like it's really oh, ugly God. like I can't even say like how ugly this is this is really ugly yep. um but it was it was just something that I was never used to designing so first of all my style again it's like it doesn't fit this but I worked on it for two months only in the end for them to throw my entire thing away and just give it to another designer to do and I didn't even earn my commission off of that. It was like a, a small print shop. So we did based off of mm. commissions. So my two months of investments went into that one design. I couldn't even concentrate on other designs because I was like shitting bricks <laughs> over this one design. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. I, I... I was like sleepless. I was like going to bed. I was like, how can I make it look more like a button? How can I make it look more shiny? How can I make it look like rust? Like, I, I just don't know what I was doing wrong. And um, I think that just like threw me over. But that experience is what made me feel better about like my work mm -hmm. now. It's like, oh, I remember that experience. I'm never going to accept another pressure washing industry job ever again <laughs> <laughs> or like as a client. I would never do it. It's just it's just too yeah. much and it scarred me. Yeah. If you ever want to. So I'm glad you. Yeah. If you ever want to do a, a YouTube video that will just like make any creative person just lose their minds because it's so true. It hurts. Um, it's this it's called the nine red lines. Uh, I'm a professional and I, I don't want to ruin it, but it's basically a whole like group of like marketing people come in and they're asking this designer to do a series of things, uh, basically graphic design with a series of nine red lines. And they're, it's, it's really pretty because they're like, Oh, you can do this, right? Cause you're a professional. And he's going, no, you can't. <laughs> and it's just, it's hilarious and it's so painful, but it's great. And it's, to seeing that video early in my engineering career when I was just kicking off photography as yeah. you know a, a paid you know professional lifestyle was just like this is why client education is so important oh god and I think that's so true and I I felt like that's where it lacked and that's what it taught me now is that I didn't have control at that time because I was working um it was like a contract position so like when he had an assignment like my my boss when he had an assignment I would um I would work on it so that's why I was so like pushed on this one assignment because he wouldn't assign me other things even if he did I didn't want to work on them because I was so concentrated on this pressure washing logo <laughs> button whatever and I was just so pissed mm -hmm. that I had to keep working on this and it was getting nowhere but then in the end I didn't even earn my commission and I think in part was because I didn't get to talk to the client I feel like my my boss at the time he was pushing his idea he was the one pushing this button idea by the way like mm -hmm. I think the client didn't know what they wanted they just know that can I get it to say like Steve's pressure washing like I'm not saying the real actual name sure. but it's like you know can I just get it as Steve Steve's pressure washing like why do we have to do a button but then like because he was paying money to my boss he felt like I can trust him like oh a button that's shiny that makes sense a button that's rusty that makes sense too can we combine it that makes sense too like they just had no control and I also had no control over that conversation so it was really hard to kind of explain my professionalism too because even though I didn't go to school for it I felt like I knew something and my boss knew a part of it too, mm -hmm. but you know, we, we had to learn from each other, but he never included me in those conversations. So it made it really hard to work on that design. And obviously we, I just never earned that commission. So I'm yeah. really sad <laughs> now that I talk about it again. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I have many stories that relate to exactly that. I feel like any creative person has battle scars that are exactly that story. Just insert their other field creative variables yeah. and apply. <laughs> um 
but I think we're reaching the end now, but I do want to welcome you back on the show for like maybe two more episodes. One to talk about like that engineering life because Mm -hmm. seven to 3 PM, like, what are you doing? You know, like what, what is the creative part and what is the admin part and what other things do you have to involve in that process? And then Mm -hmm. two would be um, your photography business, because I know a lot of people who have questions about that, who, um, because I mean, pricing for graphic design is way different. Like, like just hearing how you were describing your process, graphic design is totally different. So I assume mm-hmm. it's also different for other fields. And I think that's something um, that a lot of people can learn from. Not to say this conversation wasn't helpful because I think a lot of people will learn from this one too. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, 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 for sure. So um, that's the end of that. What are your um, social, media han- social media handles that you want to share with others and kind of spell it out so people can hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Facebook pages are dead. Um, so don't even bother with that one. <laughs> Um, um, I think they're still pretty much alive, but I, if you're saying yours are dead, <laughs> um, I'm saying mine is dead, and you know, of course, uh, different topic, different topic. Uh, <laughs> no, no more tangents. Um, yeah, no, no, my, I, I, I maybe post like once a week to my Facebook page, and it's usually just like copy paste from what I posted on my Instagram feed. Um, but my Instagram is at Mike Glatzer, uh, just M I K E G L A T Z E R. Um, and then my website is mikeglatcherphotos.com. Nice. Um, yeah, similar spelling. Yes, that's clean. I like that. All righty, Mike, thank you so much. Maybe I'll welcome you on to the next episode. So that's not even a maybe. That's a will. I will do that. So we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> well, I look forward yeah, to it. We'll talk fun. right after to kind of schedule that time, and then we can move forward from there. Heck, yeah. Sounds like a plan. What's up, y'all? Tammy here. How did you guys enjoy today's episode? Was it good, bad? Let us know. Let's talk at thecreativefolks.org is where you can email us to let us know about your opinions of today's show. Um, We would really appreciate it if you had any guests. You can send them on over. We would love to interview them, talk about their creative journey, either as an art student, a creative entrepreneur, or anything else in between. See you in the next episode. Let's hustle.